take us away. Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, Bar Talk podcast, podcast on spirits and beverages hosted at Relief and Resource. We are brought to you, as always, by iLogic Media. And uh, we'd like to thank them for uh, having us once again. This is episode five. Yes. Episode five, uh, Women in Whiskey. And before I let Courtney take away, I'm John Foley, uh, your, your loyal and dedicated host with me, uh, Courtney Booms and Mark Miller. Hello. Yeah. But before we get started, I do want to mention that um, uh, the the fundraiser for Sean Clay, who is also a member of the iLogic Media family, he does Superman Dude Daily Stock Picks, which is a show on iLogic about the stock market, um, is happening on May 8th. So you can get to it by going to Facebook, uh, iLogic Media, and hitting the uh, event um, tab on their page. This is a online uh, live auction for Sean Clay, who is suffering from uh, pancreatic cysts. Uh, there's over a thousand dollars has been raised already, but there's some incredible uh, auction items on there. There's a 13-year-old Mayor Pingree bourbon from Valentine Distillery, autographed by the distiller. Um, a number of gift cards and other items, and R&R is dedicated um, a bottle of Weller. Uh, foolproof from 2019 and 2020. These are single barrel store picks that you can um, win uh, via auction. And all the proceeds go to Sean Clay's fundraiser for pancreatic cysts. So um, if you are listening to this and you you got the time on Saturday at 3 p.m., definitely uh, go do that because there's some amazing bourbon and it's all for a really, really wonderful cause. So we'd appreciate it if you check that out. But um, and that'll be Saturday, May 8th. May 8th at, yeah. at 3 p.m., yeah, I yep, believe. Yep. If I get that wrong, Jonathan can shred me for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm almost positive. But double check on the on the iLogic page in case I'm a jerk and I got the time wrong, but I'm pretty confident about that. So uh, one of the great things about doing a beverage podcast is that um, you know each of us have different passions and uh, things that we want to talk about. And uh, Courtney... I uh, wanted to bring a uh, discussion about women in the whiskey world. Yeah. And since you are a woman. And I love whiskey. It makes you immediately very qualified. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I will take that qualification with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean. You basically put that on the show sheet for me to read, though. I did. Yeah. I did see a yes. It's, it's on there. <laughs> Not tying myself up, but I am the only lady in this trio. This so This is true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a slight natural inclination involved. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's a fascinating subject, though. It's a long subject, too. I mean, it goes uh, from early days. So uh, early Mesopotamian women were the first brewers of beer, which is arguably the first step in making whiskey. Mm -hmm. You first have to make your wort, your mash, your beer. And then it's alembic stills uh, designed by an Egyptian um, Alexandrian chemist. Um, she's listed as Maria Herbria. Um, Maria Herbria. Maria Herbria. I don't think it's meant to rhyme specifically, but she created the Alembic pot still, which is like the early modern prototype for what most moonshiners were using when they were creating their whiskey. Um, in the Middle Ages, and women probably still are. Uh, yes, in yes. The, in the hills. Yes, the hill people. Yeah, so many of them. Because real moonshine doesn't come on the on the shelf in a jar. It's made, no, it's made in the hills. Exactly. Yeah. So um, up in them hollers. <laughs> The hills have whiskey. <laughs> yes. That's a whole other show. Um, right. So there's there's moonshiners. There's also um, in the Middle Ages, a lot of women actually ran breweries. Um, in London specifically, the Brewers Guild had about 30% women um, involved there. Uh, though not always licensed, a great deal of distilleries in the UK were run or, or, or operated by, by women. And they, they were primary hop growers too, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, they ran a huge portion of the production then. 
Um, in the US, you see a lot of moonshiners and bootleggers are women. Um, there's some really cool stories. I'll highlight on one, but um, a ton, ton of them were like really tough, very interesting women. Um, you also see on the opposite end of the scale, people like Carrie Nation. So um, she was she was trying to prevent people from drinking women, but still arguably part of the history, um, promoting temperance and the decline of drink. Not very far away, we have the Holly Hotel where she actually did bury the hatchet. Um, but I think she seemed like a <laughs> that's not a figurative woman. term, actually. That's literal. She put a hatchet in the bar. Um, but mm -hmm. I think probably prohibition and temperance should be its own show. So I won't, I won't diverge too That'll much. Be, that. Yeah, that's a whole other show. And I think, um, a really one cool thing to be uh, part of that show would be to examine its actual effect on yeah. cocktail culture because it sets so much back heavily influences yeah. cocktail culture. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for today, I'm just going to try and I'm going to try and take you across both sides of the Atlantic, so the US and the UK mainly. And I'll highlight a few people that I found specifically interesting. With a boat of knowledge. With a boat of With knowledge. With a figurative, <laughs> a metaphorical boat of knowledge. I mean, my background sailing. was history. So not, not that's where I'm. Oh my God. Not, not, <laughs> not at all. Um, yeah, so just in people who span the, span the spectrum of roles in the whiskey industry as mm -hmm. well. Um, so I'll start with one of my favorites, which is Bushmills. Um, I have uh, actually a sweet old bottle of Bushmills that one of our regulars uh, took out of his grandfather's basement for me. And then we have the original Black Bush available here as well. Yeah, we think that's, we're pretty sure that Bushmills is a 1970 yeah, bottle. Yeah, so around 50 years old, approximately. Yeah. Bottled, bottled in, in 50 years old, most likely distilled, um, you know, blended from barrels that are even older. Yeah, it's what I'm going to sip on during the show. Um, if you two want some, please feel free to grab. I feel really bad drinking that because you have so little. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. sharing, so this yeah. used to be full. I mean, I'll take a scotch of it Go just because I don't think I've, I don't think I've honestly had a taste of this yet. yet. No. We had an Irish tasting where I poured some for a lot of friends, but Mark was not there. I don't think. Or maybe you just passed because you're working. But oh, way, we did that. You poured it at the Irish blind tasting. At that's the end. right. Yeah. 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 Except I was getting passed around. Quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, you can't see it, but on the table we have like ten bottles. Of you'll see them all. I've got some surprises for the end too. That's gonna be fun. Treats. Um, but yeah, so let's start in Ireland. Uh, in the second episode, I touched on the fact that the Bushmills Distillery was the first to hold a patent in the UK, given to them by the King in 1608. 1608 is on all of their bottles. They're very, um, very proud of that. But the um, notable woman of whiskey to mention here is Ellen Jane or E. J. Corrigan. Um, who got the distillery from uh, her husband, Patrick, left it to her in his will. Um, the mention of EJ, she actually used her initials a whole lot because um, she wanted to prevent uh, in marketing or in business any men to uh, automatically know that she's a woman mm -hmm. and therefore assume that she couldn't do what she was doing. But um, Just like George Eliot. Just like George Eliot. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, she ran a lot of the business affairs where she let... Um, Patrick, excuse me, not Patrick, James McColgan handle uh, the production, the blending, and like the mastery of the whiskey itself. So as a businesswoman, one of her greatest accomplishments was the negotiation of the terms of the lease of the Bushmills distillery. It was in uh, 1874. She ensured that the property was described to establish the sole protected use of the supply of water from the river Bush, uh, where it gets its name. And this is the same water that passes over the Giants Causeway. Um, so she wanted basically the, the access and the, the kind of purification process that they use for that water to be clear and distinctly on the land of the distillery. She also transformed it, uh, transformed the company from an LLC to a serious international brand. Um, so she, she raised production. She uh, notably- Which is massive. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, especially at the time, right? It's around the 18, late 1800s. 
that this happens. Um, she also substantially grew production every year and uh, solidified the brand of distillery um, from blending so that all of the blends that left their building were also barrel aged, whereas most of the Irish distilleries at the time were selling uh, effectively potion or, or the young dog, mm -hmm. white dog whiskey mm -hmm. style instead. So it provides a deep, nutty and complex flavor for anything that they were sending out. Which is proprietary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they really focus on tradition. So that's like one of those things. It's, it's part of the name and it's uh, whenever it comes out, they want it to be the highest quality. Um, Bushmills also has their current master blender as a woman. This is um, Helen Mulholland. She's also the first master blender in Ireland's history, um, at least for a legal, uh, legally distilled company, I guess you might call it, because there were illegal ones. Um, she has been indicted to the Whiskey Hall of Fame for her role and is uh, said to, to be the predominant, um, uh, uh, how do I want to say this? She influences the flavors that come out of all of her aged products. So her, her focus when she was working in labs was on casking and aging. So um, the 25 year expression is part of her por portfolio and one of her um, in, in interviews, one of her uh, most favored is what she's most proud of as well. So okay. she's like the final say, basically, in, exactly. in everything that goes out of that distillery. As a master yeah, blender. I mean, right. Yeah, so like, I mean, you could almost say it's, like, it's almost like an auteurship, you know, yeah. where, where she's really got personality and palette impacting the mm -hmm. product Precisely. significantly. Yeah. 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 Um, so Bushmills is where I wanted to touch on most in Ireland. Yes. If we're just going to jump into Scotland, Bonnie Old Scotland, um, you cannot jump into Whiskey Women in Scotland without talking about Elizabeth Bessie Williamson of the Laphroaig Distillery, which we also have a bottle of. Mm -hmm. My so, wife's favorite whiskey. It's a fantastic one too. It's from Isla, so you're gonna get more yeah. of that peatier, smokier sensation out of that whiskey. Um, but, a, but a wonderfully balanced product too. Super nice. You know, that, that really nice malt sweetness always in, in harmony with the smoke in Laphroaig. Exactly. Which is something I appreciate. Yeah. And, uh, and Bessie Williamson actually started her career there as a secretary in um, 1934. It was supposed to be a temp job, only about three months. Um, but the owner at the time, Ian Hunter, uh, noticed her extreme work ethic. And so he decided to keep her on, um, offered her jobs in, uh, in, in the blending room, the tasting rooms. She did a lot of management, micromanagement as well. Um, at the time that she jumped on, Prohibition had, had just ended um, or recently ended. And she, uh, her focus was to regain lost customers in the U.S. Okay. So, how old was she around that time? Um, know? I don't know. I don't. But know she, she, my head. she was there for quite a while after, so we can guess yeah. fairly young. She, she was a university graduate from Glasgow at the time that she hires on as a secretary. Oh. But when she leaves, she's um, at least there's a lot of footage of her um, at the Lafrog Distillery later on in her years there, and she's um, an older woman by that time, so she stays with them for she quite reigned, a while. She reigned for a while. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. She's like the queen, <laughs> or the first lady of <laughs> Scotch. Yeah, yeah that's actually yeah. the name that she gets, the first lady of Scotch. Um, but I was saying she she is trying to effectively gain more customers from the U.S. So um, she takes over U.S. affairs for Lafroig in 1938 when Ian Hunter uh, has a heart attack. So he's uh, limited in his abilities there. Um, she's effective, uh, eventually appointed as the official Scotch ambassador to America in 1961 from the Scotch Whiskey Association. Um, she switched demand from blended Scotch in the U.S. to single malt 
from her campaigns. And she did not limit herself to Lafroig when she was doing this. She also helped um, the likes of Ardbeg, Balmore, and a bunch of other distilleries that we'll end up Which is really talking about today as well. Which just raises everything else up. Exactly. Yeah. She knows her brand's going to follow that along too. No and that influence what. is still there. I mean, it's 50, 60 years on, single malt mm -hmm. still. To the point now where we're actually trying to defend blends. Exactly. And let people yeah. know that blend, like blend scotch is really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's 100% part of her legacy. Um, Lafroig actually recently released a 25-year-old uh, expression in her honor. They also released one for Ian Hunter, too, who was um, also part of the distiller at the time that she was there. Um, the other notable mention for, for Bessie is during uh, World War II, um, the Scottish government took over Lafroig uh, distillery's lands to uh, kind of help with the war effort. Um, so she micromanaged that in order to, to prevent any of the troops from kind of like one, destroying the facility because they heard of that happening yes. elsewhere. Yeah. But she'd let soldiers like sleep on, on grain in the, uh, in the barns where they kept like all their barley. Um, she offered to produce uh, high grade alcohol for fueling uh, effectively war machines. Um, and she also wrote lots of letters to the ministry to try and prevent um, people like Ian Hunter from being drafted from the war front so that she could keep them on the story themselves. Yeah, very cool lady. Definitely Slangeva to Bessie. Absolutely. In all of her work in yeah. that. Yeah. Um, other places in Scotland are that are notable for, for having women involved in their history is the Cardew Distillery. Um, they are the, the predominant blend of Johnny Walker. So I also grabbed the bottle for our Johnny Walker Dole. Gold Label Reserve. Um, Cardew is in Speyside. It means Black Rock. And uh, their historic matriarch, Helen Cumming, um, early, early on, she and her husband owned the distillery in 1824. She was remarkably resourceful. She used the family's farm and distillery to disguise it as a bakery whenever revenue men or basically tax collectors came along. Um, she would host them for tea and simultaneously, very sneakily, raise a little red flag at the top of her house to let the other distillers know in the area <laughs> that revenue men were coming around. So hide she's your like stuff. The bastards are around. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So she's super fun. Uh, Cardu in their in a lot of their literature mentioned that Whoa. she's super cool. I really like that story. Yeah. Um, she she runs it for a number of years following her husband's death, uh, very similar to the others. And eventually her daughter-in-law, Elizabeth Cummings, um, keeps her spirit alive um, just kind of keeping hold of the place. When she eventually tries to expand, she sells their original cells, excuse me, sells their original stills to William Grant, who we know would go on to make Glenfiddich. Um, and Belvinny. And, yeah. and Kinnevy, which is fantastic. Um, monkey shoulder. Indeed. Yeah. A number of things. So yeah. they, in that sale, they end up tripling their production and they catch the eye of Johnny Walker, which I mentioned. Um, she does, Elizabeth Cummings does end up selling Cardu to Johnny Walker, but in the sale, um, she also makes sure she ensures that her family and, and the current staff of the day continue to run the distillery, ensuring their employment mm -hmm. the entire time. Yeah. So that's a really good one. And Cardu is essentially the, the home of Johnny Walker now. So like if you take, you don't really take a Johnny Walker tour, you take the Johnny Walker tour at Cardu. Cardu yeah, yeah. And they explain the blending source being a huge portion of primary it. expression in Michigan is a, um, a 12 year, I mm -hmm. believe. Yeah. Which we don't carry, but it is delicious. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, if we were going to continue on in our Scottish uh, women history, um, I'll mention briefly Dalmore. And um, this is one where it's in, it's a kind of negative uh, history, unfortunately, but Donald Sutherland, not 
that one. Not that one. The other Donald Sutherland. Keith dead. <laughs> um, a he, backdrop thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it has the same name as an actor, obviously. But uh, he, he leaves the distillery to his wife, Margaret, in his passing, just like Bushmills and Cardew. Um, Donald had actually felt like the Sutherland name was recovered um, when he created this distillery and, and in, in its success because a duke of his lineage uh, left them a bad rap because he displaced thousands of people in order to um, house that land for his sheep. <laughs> no. um, yeah, exactly. So Sheep driven ducal displacement. <laughs> yeah. So Margaret, Margaret gets the distillery and she had been helping him run things. So she's fairly proficient. But her um, father and her brother-in-law are both a uh, bit of blackguards, you might say. Blackguards. Yeah, black hearts. Yes. And uh, they- Formerly Rapscallions who grew up to be- Blackguards. blackguards. There's yes. like a stage of bad guys. Yes. And uh, basically they, they have themselves a lot of debts. They gamble. They do these kinds of things. They convince her to let them run finances and effectively run Dalmore into the ground. Um, Rastabouts. I know. So it's it's some toxic masculinity working its way into there. Um, so it just shows you like a slight variation on on women whiskey history, where they can also be um, bamboozled by these rap scallions, you might say. Yeah. Um, There's no way we can keep this going, but I want to try. <laughs> yeah. The, vo the vocab. I mean, this whole time I'm just know? thinking. I wonder if Donald Sutherland has any relation to Donald Actual Sutherland. Donald, <laughs> uh, Donald Sutherland of Backdraft fame, I believe, is Canadian. Oh, okay. so there could oh, be. there's a good deal of Canadians yeah, who are Scottish. Yeah. yeah, interesting. That's where my brain is at. Sorry. <laughs> we'll maybe touch on that in a future podcast. <laughs> we'll Google it. Yeah, I'll let you guys know. We'll Google it. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say one more uh, Scottish um, woman of fame. She's a little bit more recent, so uh, modernly, Rachel Berry. She's currently, I believe, currently the master blender for Morrison Balmore, um, which I also have a bottle of. So um, she was also the previous blender for Glen Morangi and Ardbeg. Oh, excuse me, Glen Morangi. Um, I first learned it under the wrong pronunciation, so I still say Glen Morangi, unfortunately. <laughs> so Glen Morangi and Balmore. Um, she's Scotland's first modern master female blender, earning the title in 1995. She, like many uh, blending industries, studied chemistry first. Um, but right out of college or, or university, she took a job at the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute um, and worked uh, heavily on validating cask, um, cask aging methods. So she'd take old ancient documents and recreate what they used to do in uh, a number of distilleries. She did that for about five years before Glenmorangie Glen picked, picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have to keep saying it. <laughs> She, they picked up on it, and so they they uh, added her in, and she um, was one of the the notable uh, blenders who created the flavors of Signet, which is what I picked up there. Uh, very chocolatey, super rich, yeah, very chocolate, delicious. Malt, chocolate malt yeast in that, which is yeah, um, on paper something that shouldn't work, but it works but out. It great. totally does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna do a little revisit of this one. Yeah, because I have not had Signet in a while. I guess I have to finish my bush no, before I, don't I can have anything I, else. But that I, one's fantastic. We've really poured Signet since we first ordered it. That's one of those whiskeys wow. that we kind of barely sell, except around Christmas time. And yeah, then, then you it is drop, very rich. You can drop ramps, no problem. Yeah, we had it when the uh, the rep was here. Um, David Blackmore. David Blackmore. Yeah. yeah. Um. So she she. Oh, I, mean, I think Brendan McCarran is responsible. About it a bit too. Oh, yeah, that's true, Brendan. Um, she's responsible for that. And then when she moves on to Morrison Balmore in 2011, she creates um, their 15 year old expression, the darkest, 
which has some similar flavors, but I get a ton of like dark berries and fruit out of that in particular. Yeah, heavily sherried. Yeah. 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 This signet is just like on the nose. It's like all like chocolate and like roasted nuts. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a dessert in a glass. Yeah. Sure. It, yeah. It reminds me of a, of a candy bar kind of. Oh yeah. yeah, but not like not sickeningly sweet candy bar, like a toffee candy bar. Yeah, yeah, because you the mouthfeel you think it would be heavier on the nose yeah. from the nose, but it's not. It's very it's the, very light. That's the cool thing about that whiskey is it's um it's it's delicate. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But it's not just delicate whiskey that uh, comes from Scotland from ladies. Obviously, Laphroaig no. being one of those. Yeah, yeah Laphroaig is, is loud, Actually, proud, if you look and at, <laughs> If you look at what we have in front of us, and we can't really show all of it, but um, one at a time. there are some there are some powerhouse whiskeys here. Yeah, yeah. and and. I think that that's well. We'll get into the marketing a little bit too, but that kind of goes part and parcel with people's impressions of what they think. Nosing and tasting with ladies as well. As yeah, and people think automatically up, like oh, it when makes whiskey, it's going to be this like you know doily of a delicate doily of a whiskey, which is not <laughs> no. which is not true. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. A delicate like doily in. dram. Yeah, <laughs> say that five times fast. <laughs> Okay. Um, You're gonna be time out <laughs> if you continue that. <laughs> that tomfoolery. So, um, like like those early ladies of Ireland and Scotland, the U.S. I mentioned very briefly already produces moonshiners and bootleggers, and also distillery owners and things like that too. Um, I do want to highlight just one particular lady, just because she's super interesting to me, um, and that's Gertrude. Cleo Lithgow, um, the proclaimed, I don't know if it's self-proclaimed or otherwise, queen of the bootleggers. Oh. Yes. So she was a licensed, originally a licensed liquor wholesaler from Nassau in the Bahamas. I think I'm pronouncing that right, too. Um, she was originally born of Ohio, but she constantly tried to pass herself off as Native American, Russian, Spanish, French, anything basically so that she could keep her anonymity as a bootlegger. Say Ohio? Ohio. Well, she had to Ohio ensure thing. that no one knew she was from Ohio. That's what it was. <laughs> this is a Michigan bar, so yeah. we get a lot of Ohio bad Shots fired. <laughs> Come at me, Ohioans. Yeah. Cincinnati, you get a pass for being basically Kentucky. <laughs> Sorry. Close enough. Yeah. That close. Um, anyway, Miss Cleo here, she, um, she originally was a Scotch, major Scotch importer. And she got hired in almost at the same time of prohibition. So that kind of nixed everything there. But she used her connections to continue to import scotch. She also had great connections for rye. So as a bootlegger, she had a variety of products. And that's one of the reasons that she was um, so important and grew to such fame. Um, she also overcame a great deal of sexism in the bootlegger world because most uh, majority were men, but you do have an influence of women. A lot of people thought women couldn't do it because it was like a hard rough and tumble crime job. Right, but there's plenty of women in crime as there is in any other job or industry. So and they actually probably got away with it better because people assume that women would there not were, be in. Yeah. yeah, and there were notes of, of, of early moonshiners and bootleggers like hiding stuff under their skirts whenever they're trying to travel. Um, I also heard of a story of a woman. She uh, was of considerable weight, and when she got caught, she told the authorities, you can have me if you can carry me out of my house. <laughs> By considerable weight, I mean like 600-pound life like style. So that was really interesting. So ladies, uh, if you take any inspiration from this podcast, it is this. You can do crime jobs too. Mostly because men don't may underestimate like, you because don't you're don't feel like you can't. Those crime jobs are out there for you to get. Have anyway. you even seen the Italian job? Isn't it Charlie's Theron that's in it? Yeah. I think so. I think yeah. so yeah. Well, that's the remake, though. That's true, yeah. Anyhow. Anyway, um, so Gertrude Cleo Lithgow, she um, 
she's battling uh, sexism. She's bootlegging. She's moonshining. She's running around. There's a story where uh, there's a man who is bad mouthing her product. So she found him uh, in a barbershop mid shave, shoved a gun in his face, told him to never speak ill of her product again. And um, she was later interviewed for that. Um, the media loved her. So they would talk to her all the time and people still couldn't find her apparently besides uh, the media men that she may or may not have been interviewing with. But um, she also found herself among speedboats to outrun gangs, which tried to hijack her ship, uh, shipments from the Detroit waterfront when she brings stuff in from Canada. So a nice little close connection there. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's tons of distillery owners that uh, that we can mention from from the U.S. You've got um, or or presidents of co companies. You've got K.M. Britt Colson, who's the president and chief officer of Willet. She took her position from her mother. Um, the original uh, owners of Willet were her grandparents. So. Um, uh, a Lambert and Mary T. Willett. Um, you also have people in, in Kentucky like Peggy No Stevens, who founded the first accredited uh, women's bourbon drinking club. Um, and the familiar red wax seal that you find on the Maker's Mark bottle, that was actually the marketing idea of Maker's Mark founder Bill Samuel's wife, Marge. Um, she found that the wax top on the seals of cognac bottles to be very pleasing and offering a lot of uh, of this idea of a crafted product over the industrial look of the tapes that were used previously. It's still probably the most shared. Toss that over here. Toss it right over. Um, <laughs> it's one of the most shared thing, too, about anybody who goes down to Kentucky. Like, you ever go to Maker's Mark? Yeah. You can dip your own bottle. Yeah, you can dip your own bottle. Wow. You know, that's everybody's favorite <laughs> part is you can yes. dip your own bottle. Yeah. Um, but there's there's other people in Kentucky. Um, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna need Mark's help here, I think, because um, I brought a little something for us. Um, except I need to know her name. Uh, Uncle Nearest is a new product on the market, and uh, at least on the Michigan market. And the whole story is connected with the uh, production of Jack Daniels. Because the original. Um, Blender or, ma or Recipe Master? Recipe Master Thank was um, was uh, a black man named, well, his nickname was Uncle Nearest, but I don't know his actual name. Hopefully Mark can find it for me. But the uh, this is a, a, a woman-owned uh, distillery in Tennessee, mm -hmm. making high-quality uh, Tennessee sour mash. And I believe the master distiller is his great-great-granddaughter. Yeah, I want to say that's true as well. Yeah, and um, we're going to try to get ladies, her name. Two ladies, they're cousins. Yeah. yeah, we want to yeah. try to get their names for you because we want to mention them. Um, I left my show sheet downstairs, and Oops. it would be really awkward if I got up and left. So <laughs> um, we're actually going to taste the Uncle Nearest 1856 100 proof, which none of us have tasted. We tasted uh, yeah, the 93 time. proof because um, I'm thinking we should maybe uh, start carrying it. So mm -hmm. uh, that's going to happen here in just a second. And also, I did bring... Um, we have a little donation for our show. You know we're hitting it big when we get the donation. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> our good friend uh, Gus Morrow down the uh, down the street from us, who owns Merchants uh, Gourmet Wine Shop and Bottle Shop in Fenton, Michigan, uh, did a new riff four year old single barrel store pick. Store pick, yeah. Yes, and the general manager of the new riff distillery is a woman as well, <laughs> and. Um, I have to imagine that her job is extremely impactful considering New Riff is doing as, about as many store picks as anybody because they're yeah. only four years old. They're, that's kind of the bread and butter is doing store picks. So there. managing that project is a big part of getting New Riff's name out there. And we haven't tried this store pick either yet. So. Uh, Uncle Nearest, Nathan Green. Nathan, Nathan Green. Green. Yeah. Do we have the name of the, the, the master distiller now? Um, she's in charge of all of it. I can certainly find that for you. <laughs> 
Also, Mark's looking oh, at the website on his phone, and they actually have their history. Like, it's in a book. Yeah, like I a book. love yeah, that. That's pretty cool. Yes. History nerd me so, proofs. Um, if women have had a hard time breaking into um, distillation, people of color have had a much, much harder time. So that we can get access to really great um, Tennessee Sour Mash, um, main, made, maintained, owned, and distributed by uh, a woman of color is amazing. And I think that uh, Tennessee is definitely something that's going to have some growth. I think there's going to be more Tennessee whiskey that's going to be worth trying. I don't think it's going to be dominated just by Jack Daniels and George Dickles. So I think it's awesome that this is here because I think that's a category that's going to grow. People's palates are pretty driven by sweetness right now. Yeah. Yeah. With all the bourbon um, that's being produced now and all the stuff that I see people liking on forums, a lot of it's real sweet. So Tennessee is right there. There's a piece of that that they can jump into. Yeah. Yeah. So Google is telling me uh, Uncle Nearest, Nathan Green, was the first African-American master distiller in the United States. And now his great, great granddaughter, whose name is Victoria Edie Butler, um, believed to be the first known African-American woman to hold the title of Master Blender. Well, let's drink her whiskey right now. Yes, let's do it. So this is the 1856 100 proof from Uncle Nearest. We tried the 93 proof. I thought it was real pleasant. Um, it didn't jump me, you know, too far away from what I normally think Tennessee whiskey is. But um, given how sweet Tennessee whiskey can be with the, the Lincoln County process, I'm excited to try something a little higher proof because that's usually where my wheelhouse is for sweet whiskey. Side note too, for those of you watching the video version of this, you probably just saw me and Courtney smell our hands, which probably looked really weird. It does look weird. But what it does is it kind of uh, negates anything else you have going on. It resets your nose basically. Yeah, Yeah. 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 your hand or the um, the crook of your elbow. Yeah, yep. Which I can can awkwardly do right now. (laughs) My elbow smells like my lotion though, so I'm gonna keep (laughs) saying I have cologne on. It's fantastic. The nose is very barrel heavy, I think, but pleasantly, I, I would say. Undeniably Tennessee. That mid palate is rock and roll. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of big honey. Yeah. Nice yeah. and rich. Yeah, yep. some nutty notes. Mm-hmm. A lot of sweet corn. Like um, cinnamon almonds is what I'm tasting. Yeah. Too, I'm wondering if there's um, charcoal filtering. I would imagine there is. Because I feel like I can kind of taste that yeah. too, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting yep. point, yeah. I think that's so, Tennessee whiskey. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't encountered this and you have any interest in Tennessee whiskey at all, this is fantastic. Um, this is the first time any of us have tried it. And I'm, I'm, I will positively recommend. So yep. that'll, mm-hmm. that'll find a home on the bar. And I've had people tell me about it for a couple of weeks now. They're like, Uncle Nearest, have you had Uncle Nearest? Yeah. Like, no, I just haven't had the opportunity. But yeah. now that I have, I'm into it. I'm into it, too. Yeah. Um, let's talk about marketing real quick before we get into the new riff and mm-hmm. sip on this. But like, I think there's something to be said for uh, just the way whiskey's been taken care of in terms of how it's marketed. Oh yeah. To, versus to- men and women. Yeah. Because um, when I mean, I'll touch on it lately, and you can go into it more. Yeah. When whiskey has been marketed to women in the past, which was almost never. Yeah. The marketing was extremely patronizing, and and very ill advised. Ridiculously sexist is the way I would describe it. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's not great. I mean, um, so I I have in my notes here, I mentioned um, Heather Green, who is the whiskey sommelier of Flat Room in New York City. 
Um, she was formerly of William Grant and Sons ambassadoring for uh, Glenfiddich. And she also wrote the book Whiskey Distilled, A Populist Guide to the Water of Life, which is also one of the first books I've ever read about it's whiskey tasting from women. <laughs> yeah, specifically written by a woman. Um, in her book, it's very predominant, and she does this whenever she's being interviewed or talking in general, um, that, that there's a move uh, in marketing proper whiskey and or if needed whiskey education for women instead of the very sexist, in my opinion, ploy of um, offering ladies flavored whiskeys. Mm -hmm. So like Tennessee honey or crown apple or all those yeah. other things, right? As if they could never understand the super complexities that are involved right. in like the regular expression. Or they cake fireball. <laughs> they make that? No. Oh. <laughs> Bad idea. Don't make that. God. <laughs> she also battles the idea that like, uh, you have to sweeten our dilute product to its like lowest common denominator to target the females in the, in, in the industry. So you know, she's a huge, she's a hero of mine in that way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and two, uh, you mentioned about marketing and that there's not a huge representation of people of color, let alone women of color. So representation in, in the industry of women is probably on the rise. It's still not as high as at the very least I'd like it to be. Um, but it's steps ahead of where it was in like maybe the fifties or sixties, you yeah, might when, say, right? When, like yeah, when, when the women only thing that it was marketed towards kitchen. women is like, oh, well, here's what you need to know so you can buy your husband the right. Exactly. Or if you're hosting right, a party right. and there's yeah. going to be a bunch of dudes there, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, which is some garbage. But uh, in general, um, uh, one of the reasons why you're seeing a ton of women in the industry in like those CEO positions or in the master blending, master distilling, um, there is an actual study that says that women have a bit of a heightened sense of taste and smell. I'm not just trying to pull this out of my ass, literally. Um, it, it comes from uh, ovulation, which leads to a surge in estrogen, naturally produced in women, obviously, and increased uh, sensitivity of the olfactory region. So smell literally are activated in a greater part and region of the brain in women than men at that time. This is from Tim Jacobs at Cardiff University. There are plenty of other studies that you can research into as well. And I'm not saying that there aren't men who are better than some women at those facts. I definitely think it's true. You can also train your senses, yeah. right? So it's not just that women, women might have this slightly or greater inherent re reason to be able to taste and smell whiskeys um, for those like more specified jobs. You can also train yourself. So there's a ton of men who, who hold this position as well. I'm, I'm, I think it's true personally, but my wife has better palate than I do. I think at the whiskey blind tasting, I don't remember who it was, but there was a woman there who very much doubted herself when she kept like giving out suggestions for what she tasted. Was that, that was smell. the Isla tasting. That was the first one that oh, you was did. Oh, that's what it yeah. was. The Isla she tasting. She said at the she beginning. She was spot on. She was fantastic. Yeah, she said at the beginning that she she was one of the people who, were, who was talking at this blind tasting uh, early. You know, nobody talks at the beginning. They got to get like four uh, whiskeys in them before, before they actually people talk. Before people started chatting. But she too, was yeah. pretty chatty at the beginning and she said, well, I'm, I'm when I did the whole thing about like, hey, you know, please, if you taste something, say it because it's going to benefit the whole group. Yeah. You know, we all, we like discourse, everybody tastes differently, yada, yada, give them my whole spiel. And she was kind of dismissive and said, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk, but I'm not going to get these right. Like, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Yeah, right. She pulled four labels perfectly out of eight whiskeys and she pulled right. the fifth one. She nailed the distillery, but not the whiskey. Blind tastings. Blind tasting. Mm -hmm. Getting four and a half essentially right out of eight is really, really good. hard. Yeah. yeah. Like I I mean to a small degree, I basically drink whiskey for my job and I don't know I don't know how often I could pull four or five out of eight. Well you should yeah. them, but yeah. Right. So that's very, very difficult. Well, may I smell your glass here real quick? Yeah. <gasps> so something, um, something strange is happening with his uncle nearest. And it's something that I've never experienced with whiskey before because 
I've always heard people say that in certain whiskeys you can get like peanut brittle, mm -hmm. and I'm allergic oh. to peanuts, so I don't know what that smells like generally. But I feel like this is it in well, the Uncle Nearest. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. peanut brittle. Yeah. Stay tuned for our next episode when well, I give Mark the antidote to the poison he just drank. <laughs> I'll go grab the EpiPen. Be right back. <laughs> no, that's I, I. Sorry, sorry to distract the whole conversation. I just thought it was no, interesting because I've never experienced that before, and I I didn't know if it was because of the other whiskeys I had going on in my Glencairn before this. Right. But I think it's the I think it's the Tennessee. Very cool. So women now represent 37% of whiskey consumption in the U.S., nice. up from 15% in the 90s. That's a massive jump. Massive, massive jump. Yes. Um, and I would say I, a massive part of that is specifically your demographic, 21 to 40. Probably true. Um, we, since we opened this bar almost five years ago, noticed so many younger ladies coming in and drinking whiskey. Um, neat or rocks, they're more adventurous about whiskey cocktails typically, and they tend to label jump a little bit more than the men do. That's 100% true. Yeah. For sure, yeah. 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 Um, I would say that in this bar, scotch consumption is 50-50, if not 60-40 women. women predominantly men. women, yeah. yeah. Men um, drink uh, almost more bourbon. Much more bourbon, which tells me that women's palates need sugar a little bit less than men too, at least in this bar. We yeah. have a lot of ladies who are not afraid of barrel finish whiskeys. They're not afraid of Isla whiskey. I think yeah. um, we have just as many women, if not more, drinking mezcal, so they're not afraid of smoke. Yeah, either. and just all those bold natural flavors that exactly. are coming out of like. And I do think it also kind of goes back to the whole like incorrect like classic ideals of like bourbon is a man's drink, so men have to drink bourbon. Where I feel like you know the women we get in here are a little bit more open-minded like if they like bourbon maybe they'll try scotch maybe you know yeah they'll jump around they're not, yeah, they're yeah. not as, as, as scared of yeah of style that's a that's yeah. a growing trend in the bar industry in general which is always lovely to see people with mm. like more open minds um to cocktails but yeah as, as bartenders we love it you know yeah <laughs> um and you're seeing that with bartenders too there's a lot more notable uh, female bartenders than there yep. used to be getting awards Absolutely. and and leading mm -hmm. bars and stuff like that um i have in my show notes uh jillian Bows. Um, oh, yeah. We mentioned the Dead Rabbit Bar a few mm -hmm. different times, but she just recently co wrote the book um, Patty Drinks from that bar, and she's actually the lead name on the uh, on the book itself. So she wrote the highest percentage of the book. Um, and for women in the industry like myself, you don't always see us being represented in the forefront. Um, and one of the hurdles is to, ha to have to overcome is really convincing people that our knowledge and representation matters. I also serve. There have been times, very unfortunately, where dudes at the table will walk away from me to go talk to John or Mark yeah. about what they Which should is drink. so irritating to me. Oh, yeah. I love you guys so much because you always say, <laughs> go talk to Boone. I'll she knows them yeah. right yeah. back to your yeah. table. I'm like, that girl can probably tell you more about the intricacies of Scotch than I can. So depending yeah. on what you ask me, maybe so. But yeah, that that representation really matters because the more you see it in those big name bars or mm -hmm. big awards or distilleries, mm -hmm. the more the the general concept that, yeah, I know perhaps as much as I can as as these dudes is is uh, I mean, I was true. Say, it's, as it's far as like, as far as like Irish whiskey and Welsh whiskey go, you're probably Which the my, authority my, in this oh, bar on. Oh. Those. Thank styles. you. Thank you for mentioning Welsh whiskey because Pandiran actually I was, has. I was going to say, there's this bottle of beautiful Pandiran. Yeah. yeah. I haven't talked about they it. Get, yet. They're going to get an honorable mention, um, a very short mention, because hopefully we're going to do, not hopefully, we're going to. We'll do I've decided. We're going to do a show just on Pandiran. <laughs> just on sure. Pandiran. Because I, I really, really love them too. Their entire distilling team is women. Um, and it's led by, uh, I want to say, Lauren Davies and um, other ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're fantastic. They're producing excellent stuff. Um, and the style of Pandiran that they make is 
is very unique compared to some other whiskeys. So I'll, I'll delve more later, but yeah. it's one of my favorite things. How are we doing on time, Murray? Uh, yeah. We're sitting at about 40 minutes. Okay, so, so we'll do, um, we're going to taste this new riff here too in a little yeah. bit yeah. Um, before we wrap up. Then you also see some more uh, high profile ladies uh, marketing whiskey too. 100%. And, um, and marketing whiskey as, as consumers of it, not yeah. as sex objects for men. Right. 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 You see, not just um, look at this one. I put right. some whiskey. Uh, two, two <laughs> big ones. Wait, what are, is that? Uh, you... <laughs> no, two I big won't. ones are Mila Kunis and Christina Hendricks. Oh, yeah. They're both yeah. spokespeople for Jim Beam and Johnny Walker, respectively. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if she's a spokesperson, but Rihanna really loves whiskey. <laughs> Rihanna, <laughs> Rihanna is. Uh, she's a big fan. Yeah, she sings about it. She's a, yeah, she's a massive whiskey fan. Uh, Halle Berry is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gaga is a Jameson drinker. She's mentioned it a number yeah. of times. How she doesn't even have sponsorship, but she mentions Jameson like all the time. Because she just loves it so much. Because she loves Jameson. I love yeah. that you were the one who dropped the first bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 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 I think that could be edited up, out. Uh, uh, Jonathan uh, Cole, uh, uh, podcast. So, you know, that partial F-bomb, I don't think it's going to hurt you. Yeah, it'll be fine. I've sworn on other ones already, but I just, like, like a sailor. Oh shit! It'll be fine. Yeah. Okay, no, so um, <laughs> we're gonna do this new riff barrel just because uh, it was donated for the show, and I'm really excited. I've tasted some new riff stuff that I've really, really, really liked, and uh, some stuff that I don't really like. That's just because I think the nature of having this many store picks out in the world, you're gonna get some it's stuff. A huge that, you know, variety. Yeah, exactly. Um, Mark, can I ask you one more uh, secretarial favor? We need the name of the GM um, of New Riff because she oversees the. Um, the running of the distillery. Uh, she does not make the whiskey, but she's the general manager of the distillery, which, like I said before, with a uh, company that does this many store picks and has this type of profile for kind of like, you know, pick your own new riff, I think that's a pretty massive job. Hannah Lowing. Thank you. Lowing. So this is uh, picked by our friend Gus down at Merchants. It is barrel distilled on one, two of 17. Bottled on 128 of 21. That's a four-year barrel, which is pretty standard new riff stuff. And wow, did it's you do that math hit. in your head? <laughs> it's like he's got a degree or something. Why don't you just focus on alliteration? This is I'll what happens when you bottle. get bartenders drinking whiskey. And none <laughs> of us have to work after Start this, shooting the shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, 103.6 All right. proof on the One new of, riff. So semi-high, yeah. yeah. This says, oh, never mind. Single barrel. You said it's a merchant's pick. Yeah. So if you yeah you read the words from left to right. Oh. Single barrel. I was thinking. Oh, like in the, the English right style. Left. In the English mm. style. Yeah. Not like anime mm-hmm. or manga. Excuse me. Um, it's pronounced manga. I already said I have done. <laughs> I have issues with pronunciation. <laughs> Anyhow, let's taste this whiskey. Banana bread. That's what they say. I'm, I don't think they're wrong. It is definitely like. Got some sweeter like pastry notes to it, I think. Pastry is a really good part. Like yeah. vinoise are like buttery. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. To me, this is dessert whiskey, but it's very, very easy to like. For some, I don't know if it's like the the like music implications of it, but I always get new riff and three chord mixed up. Very different things. <laughs> well, now that now there's some three chord um, single barrel picks that have actually gotten a lot of notice on the. Oh, uh, really. On the bourbon forums, and I, I, my initial snarky reaction to three chord was so bad that I kind of have to like maybe reassess. Reassess, yeah. But I, I have a hard time with three chord in, as a concept because the way it was marketed was it was just like <laughs> the ultimate like white dude strumming a guitar. 
Just whiskey. an old hippie singing yeah. the barrels. Yeah, and I just think of like, like, like rock is dead. D bags like yeah. David Crosby yeah. and like it's yeah. sitting so like yeah. Polar opposite to like Copper and Kings, which is I was about to say, yeah. let's talk about Copper and Kings. Kings <laughs> well, we'll do a brandy show. We'll talk yeah, about yeah, that, yeah. But, All right. uh, this new riff is great. So if you're in this area, go down to Merchants and grab one. He had a, he had a few. Yeah, uh, this is a good head. pick. So mm-hmm. props to you, Gus. Yeah, and Gus, Gus will occasionally carry some of our picks at the store, too. That's 100 so He helps us out so we can do more picks. <laughs> Don't have to sit on as much inventory. Thanks, Gus. But um, what else? great show. Yeah, I think we're, I yeah. Think we're I mean, up, really. in conclusion, we, um, while whiskey can often find itself under the purview of, like, a boys' club, it is wholly accessible to uh, I think those walls are coming and enjoyed. If, if not all the way down, they're coming down. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm breaking that glass ceiling, yeah. ladies. Let's keep it's doing going it. down. She's young. We got a Kimber. female VP. We've got everything going on for us, yeah. and just all these babs in the industry are, are continuing to produce excellent stuff. I mean, women and from are, a bartender standpoint, um, ladies who are into whiskey are my, pretty much my favorite customers because they love talking about it. They're very yeah. adventurous. Um, they're intelligent, and they will try anything. And they don't have typically as many built-up judgments as, right. as men do when it comes right. to the spirit. Oh, 100%. Sure. Yeah. That's an interesting point you made. Yeah, the preconceived judgments. Yeah, I don't see it as much in ladies as right. I do men, that's for sure. So I guess to end, we should probably say uh, happy Mother's Day to all the Absolutely. mothers Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Ladies. Plant women, moms and fur babies count. Yeah. Yes. Enjoy those drams on Sundays. Absolutely. On, on Sunday specifically. Yeah. This one's to you. Cheers. <laughs>